0: Let's join in prayer. Let's pray together. We come to you, gracious God, with thanks for your word, realising that perhaps we've heard this story before many, many times, praying that also you would help us to learn new things, to put those things into practice, that we too might be a bit more like Daniel in his courage and bravery, but also be led to see Jesus in his willingness to stand in the breach for us. We ask as we come to this text, your blessing upon it and upon us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we come this morning to this really wonderful text of Daniel chapter 6. That part of the book of Daniel that just about every Sunday school will be taught every Sunday school child will be taught at least twice uh, during their time in Sunday school, but one that speaks to all of God's people, the younger and the older, of great things, of wonderful themes and even the Lord Jesus himself who is in the text. We've been following Daniel 1-5 to fairly carefully and you'll note that Daniel has appeared in all the chapters with the exception of chapter 3 where his three friends uh, took the limelight for a time. And you will have noted that in these chapters there's been a pattern which we can put like this. Uh, First, a situation uh, that God's servants in Babylon have found themselves in which threatens danger to them. Uh, Second, A decree from a king either to do this or that or not do this or that or interpret a dream or bow down to an idol or face death. And then third we've seen God's wonderful response to protect his servants and humble that king whether it be Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or in this chapter, Darius. It's not hard to note, is it? Not hard to see once you look back over the chapters and all the more clear as we think about Daniel and the lions who wanted to eat him but did not. A Daniel who was not only on the menu for these lions but was entree, a main course, dessert and supper, or was meant to be. And how he came to be all that is unfolded in this well-known story of chapter 6 of Daniel who lived to tell the story and what a story it is. What a story to remember. What a story to memorise. One, you probably know because of Sunday school days, which is kind of odd because when you think about it, it's not really a children's story, is it? It's much, much more than a children's story. Well, let's consider this morning the story this morning by looking at it from these three angles, each of which bring to light one aspect of what the story has to teach us today. First, let's consider it from the angle of how Daniel's life was scrutinized. How Daniel's life was scrutinized. If New Idea or Women's Weekly uh, got hold of the story at the time, it may well have fitted their publication very well. After all, here was someone famous from the ruling class of society getting spied on in the hope of catching him out doing what he shouldn't have been doing and then taking that report straight to the king. Except, of course, Daniel was doing what he should have been doing, praying to his God despite the edict of the king. But these enemies of Daniel were pretty much on the ball, weren't they? These envious high officials of Babylon who could find nothing in his public or private life to bring him down resorted to this ruse by which they could trap and report this faithful believer. Unfortunately for his enemies, at the end of the story revealed how that worked out for them. It did not just prove futile, but it backfired completely. See, Daniel's private life passed the test of the scrutiny of these men because he'd already passed the test of scrutiny before the lord isn't that important before these eyes these men ever set their eyes upon him his private life was in such good order we might say altogether holy and pure in the sight of god who sees all that no mere men no mere man was going to catch him out It didn't matter if it was night after night or day after day or week after week. It didn't matter if it was in public or in private. There was a consistency about Daniel's walk with God and his conduct that could not bring him into any sort of disrepute at all. If there was something, his enemies would have found it. If there'd been an obvious flaw, they would have jumped on it and exploited that weakness, but they found nothing. That is to say, in Daniel's private life, everything was as it ought to have been. What about these so-called workmates of Daniel's then? Well, they're not the sort of workmates you'd choose, are they? Concerned for their own advancement at Daniel's expense, but see how the tables turn on them. At the start of the chapter, it's they who set this delicious trap for Daniel. But at the end of that chapter, that trap becomes means that they become delicious in the trap. To the lions, anyway. See what jealousy and envy can do? There's a whole sermon in that topic. Jealousy and envy end up eating you up. Hurting the people who have them in their hearts more than the people who are the objects of our envy and our jealousy and daniel was the object of naked jealousy wasn't he but this jealousy reaped a terrible reward rising to the surface so much so that even the king became embroiled in the whole controversy darius is the king in this chapter uh, the one who rose to the power at the death of Belshazzar and a relatively new power to the throne, maybe he didn't know the full contribution that Daniel had made to the kingdom and its success in Babylon. He may not have known either how much respect Daniel had earned nor much, how much influence Daniel had exerted in the course of the nation. Daniel's longevity is a testimony to God's keeping power at work. It stands out from the text too that a believer's witness can silence the accusations of the unbeliever. It was true in the case of the Lord Jesus. Remember how they had to trump up charges against him to bring him to trial? They trumped up charges because out of his many observers and many followers, including his enemies, they could not find one accusation against him to make it stick. His life was such a standard that even those who wanted to charge him with some flaw could not. And the rest of the New Testament urges us, doesn't it, to live such good lives among unbelievers in all manner of our lives, even our speech, so that when they bring charges against us, It will be obvious to all and sundry that such a charge is false. So if anything, and perhaps this is the key to the whole book of Daniel, the sum and substance of its message, the example of a godly life in a pagan world is not impossible. A godly life in a pagan world is not impossible. In fact, you can be godly in an ungodly world and you can influence those around you for Christ. Daniel did, and our calling is to do the same. We're not called to let the world change our thinking and our standards, but in the world to be a change agent for God, salt in a tasteless place, light in a dark place. We can so easily be overcome with the thought that there's just too much to do Uh, The problems out there are too big to handle that we end up doing nothing and forget about the corner of the world that we're shining in as stars against a blackened sky. How are you shining? Is your light as bright as it was when first you knew the Lord? Has your output increased over the years, shining brighter and brighter You cannot stop the process of growing older and maturing age-wise, but if we don't walk closely with the Lord, then the process of maturing in Christ can take a back seat. That brightness can dim. Think of Daniel, think of Caleb, think of Moses, think of Abraham, think of Enoch, all these men who knew the blessing of progressively walking with God. And therefore bring blessing to the whole nation. If they'd been watching you, though, instead of watching Daniel, what conclusions might they have drawn? Would they have seen a consistently godly and prayerful example of a person whose public life and private life matches? See, it's very easy to look like a Christian, isn't it? To wear a smile on your face, to carry a big Bible and speak words of peace, and you might fool most people. I'm reminded of the Jungle Doctor comics, how Monkey once put on the lion's skin and pretended to be a lion. It all came undone when he met real lions. The point here with Daniel that I'm labouring is this. There was no difference between public and private persona. What a challenge that is in itself. Can it be said of you? Second, let's look at the story from the angle of how Daniel's faith was characterised. It's usual to associate Daniel with faith, just as it is to associate Job with patience or Jonah with disobedience or David with Goliath. And so know how the chapter has a couple of descriptions for us of Daniel's faith. See, first of all, its clarity. Matthew, there are some words that should come up. There was a lot of wishy-washy, vague sort of stuff going back then in Daniel's time as there is in our time. A whole mix of superstition, of idolatry, of religious customs all mixed together. But Daniel knew what he believed. He knew whom he had believed and he stuck to both of those. Secondly, see its loyalty. Daniel lived in a time when to have faith like his was not popular for the people he lived with were among strangers. They were strangers to the kingdom of God despite Nebuchadnezzar's decrees found in chapter 3 and 5. Added to this was the enormous pressure placed upon Daniel all the way to conform to the ways and customs and beliefs around him. Yet what we find, Daniel staying true to his faith, not turning aside from the truth. Daniel was so committed to the truth that we could say that he preferred the den of lions then give up his trust in God. Then note its perseverance. When threatened with judgment by lions, this did not deter him. He was steadfastly unmovable. There was a way of escape. There was a way out. If he would take it, there was an act of compromise he could take that would guarantee his own skin. But for him, that was not an option. He would be true to God or die. Now wouldn't the church be totally shaken up if we all went that, by that motto? True to God or die? Believers all around the world live by that motto. According to the latest I can found, find, it's about 4,000 a year who die at the present rate. Some estimate that it's even higher. It's now said there are more martyrs for Christ in this last century, the last hundred years, than there have been for the whole 2,000 years of Christian history. Maybe the time will be coming when our names will be added to the list of those who have resisted to the point of shedding their blood. And that fact, coupled with Daniel's resolve, must surely help us consider if you or I were called to deny Christ or die, how would you or I fare? How would you go? Perhaps the answer to that is found in the fact that we may not be prepared to die for him if we are not already living for him. See, this could have been Daniel's last moment. This could have been the end as far as his earthly life was concerned. And though it wasn't, we see the strength of his faith. We also see, fourthly, it's perfecting. Daniel finished well. In fact, you could say that it appears from the flow of the stories about him that God had been preparing him throughout his whole life for this very moment. This moment for him to stand for God, this moment for him to testify of his loyalty to God, this moment for God to display his glory and might over the power and the kings of Babylon. I wonder if that's how you you view your life, as something that's preparing you for the moment when God will call upon you to make a vital stand. Daniel was preparing to die well. That's an issue for us today, not simply to live for God today, but to die for him, being prepared to die for him if ever that demand is placed upon us. And Daniel certainly knew that this was the case he was facing His was a trial that went to the absolute nth degree, to the maximum. It was nothing less than death as a consequence and it was all for the testing and the perfecting of his faith. Peter tells us in his first letter that this is why you and I undergo trials. Not so that your faith will be worn down but so that the gold will be refined and reflected more and more and reflect more and more of the image intended by the one who brought us to himself by grace. And while one fair application of the story would be to say, now, brothers and sisters, put your faith in Daniel, uh, sorry, put your faith in the God of Daniel and resolve to stand up for him whatever the cost, perhaps a better application might be remember to pray, that when your time comes, whether it requires a public stand for Christ or not, start praying now that God might strengthen your faith for that moment. So if you end up in a lion's den like Daniel or in a court of law like Peter and John or before a crowd of angry protesters like Paul, that this test of the genuineness of your faith will bring honour and praise and glory to the one who called you and saved you. Are you ready for that? Thirdly, look at the story from the angle of how Daniel's God was glorified. The chapter gives us a fairly full account of the way the Lord acted in this situation and miraculously preserved Daniel from certain death. See, lions are not known now, nor have they ever been known as a gentle beasts who like to sit up on your lap and play with a ball of wool from the cat family. Lions are meat eaters. Hungry, starving lions do not discriminate between their prey. They don't think to themselves, oh, this one looks a bit tough, we won't go for him. Just a few years ago, a man in India discovered that if you climb over a four metre fence to join the lions in their zoo home, they will not show you the respect that you think you deserve. He didn't learn from the zoo intern in North Carolina who suffered the same fate a month before, or the man who was killed in the Czech Republic by a lion he kept in his own backyard nor the man in Ghana last month who climbed over a zoo fence. That was the end of him. Lions kill and eat whatever is fed them. But in this case, it wasn't the case. It wasn't either that the lions had a little nibble of his toe here and a finger there and thought, no, we'll leave that go. God intervened. God shut the mouths of these lions and took away their natural desire to kill and eat and preserved Daniel in the whole process. A drawing from this new pagan king in verses 25 to 28, a fountain of praise and glory, a decree for the whole world. But here's the point of contrast. While Daniel was preserved, not every believer will be preserved. Church history tells us that in the first century, lions developed quite a taste for believers. They quite liked them, thank you very much. And that might remind us that God will not always deliver us from the jaws of death. He did in this case. He has intervened on many other occasions, but not all, because otherwise the Lord Jesus would not have tasted death for us. The fact here is marvellous evidence that he can, but it's not proof that he always will. Can I say this in all seriousness? Unless Jesus comes, death is going to come to you. And if it is in line with God's time, then he won't keep you from it. So note, it wasn't that Daniel was kept from the den of lions. Daniel was kept in the den of lions. And there's a big difference. God may well allow you to come face to face with a trial so close that you can feel its breath, you can hear its roar, you can touch its whiskers. But remember that he has also promised to keep you in that trial. Just as he did here. And just as Peter reminds us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. Well, in closing, let me bring this to your minds in order that you mar- might marvel at what ultimately this story points us to. Consider these points. See, Daniel faced death because of the envy of his enemies. So too did Jesus. Daniel was subject to an evil plot to put him to death. So too was Jesus. Jesus. Daniel was sentenced to death under an unjust gentile law so too was Jesus Daniel was an innocent man sentenced to death sentenced to death against the will of the one who made the sentence so too was Jesus Daniel was arrested while at prayer so too was Jesus Daniel's bones were not broken. So too with Jesus. And Daniel was within a pit sealed with the king's authority. So too was Jesus. Daniel was not just saved from death, but was vindicated. So too was Jesus. Daniel was raised from the pit and his enemies were judged. So too with Jesus. When Daniel was saved from the pit, it led to the praise and worship of God. So too with Jesus. But here's the contrast. Though God saved Daniel from the lion's mouth, he did not do that with Jesus, but allowed him to taste death and to live again that he might ever be our saviour. What of that? Or just this, that we must give endless thanks to God for this one story that points us again to the gospel, one died for many, that many might live. And if you're among the number whose hope is in Jesus, whose hope is in his blood, then you've got a song to sing. You've got a story to tell. The lamb who conquered the mouths of lions. Will you do that? Will you praise him with me? Let's pray. We praise you, Heavenly Father, We thank you for the one pointed to in this story. You did not rescue him from the cross. Even when they taunted him and said, he saved others, let him save himself. Come now down from the cross and we'll believe you. How tempting that must have been for him. You did not rescue him, but you rescued us. What a glorious story that is, that you allowed him to suffer, that we might be free. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for these lessons we've learned about Daniel's faith and the way in which you acted in that situation to bring glory to yourself. And we pray that you would continue to bring glory to yourself through the message that we share of the Saviour who suffered and died. Hear us now as we thank you, as we sing the song of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me. We pray this in his name. Amen.